0: start On on
1: demand manitoba's vaccine rollout plan has been unveiled where are you on the list mayhem on the stock market with gamestop and blackberry shares going through the roof what is happening with the market the cfib releases its golden scissors awards Turns out it only took a global pandemic for governments to finally start cutting some red tape. And we honour an old colleague and friend, John Copsey, who died this week just as he was about to turn 54. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 28th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, got to say, I I got lucky today. I got away with one this morning because I woke up, not to the sound of an alarm, At uh, I just woke up and grabbed my phone and thought, what time is it? And it was 3.33, and my first alarm usually goes off. Sometimes I set it for 2, sometimes 2.15, because I don't drink coffee, so it takes me a long time to wake up. I'll get up and then I'll just sit on my couch for an hour as I scroll through my phone to just try to slowly wake up. My, I have my alarm clock that went off and I think I just, I must've just gotten up and turned it off in my sleep. And then I went back down and I had not realized that I didn't set any alarms on my phone. I usually set like 50 alarms on my phone. So I just happened to wake up.
2: I can't. That happens. I've done it where I've set it for PM by mistake, and then you wake up and you realize you, how lucky you were. But I, but I I'm in awe of your entire routine. Not only that you didn't get up, didn't set your alarm, but even if you had, I'd argue sometimes you sleep through nine of them anyway.
1: <clears throat> oh yeah, oh, for like sure. Your,
2: your whole morning routine is is like a should be like a scientific experiment.
1: <laughs> my, when I used to live with my friend Mike in the in the basement, he so he. Uh, I had a computer. It was in the basement. He would sometimes come down and use the computer. And he came down one Saturday morning, and he says my alarm was going off for an hour. And I slept through the whole thing. And it, was, it wasn't like a radio alarm. Like, it was the...
3: Eh, 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 eh.
1: And uh, I think I woke up and was just too tired to get up and turn it off, so I just powered through it and <laughs> fell back asleep for an hour. Wow. I, uh, I woke up this
4: morning, and I thought, oh, boy, I wonder what time it is. I always love when I wake up, say around twelve, twelve thirty, because my first alarm goes at two forty-five. It was two forty-three. Oh, that's the worst! <laughs>
2: it's like, come on. <laughs> I was just thinking this the other day. Is it worse to like? I also hate sleeping to the alarm. Yes, because that noise is so jarring. I hate that. Fair. But then when you wake up two minutes earlier, your that, that irrational part of your brain's like, oh. It's going to be, I really needed that two more minutes of sleep. That was going to, that was, that's the game changer for me today. I didn't get that two minutes.
4: Well, well, no, I, I just celebrate the the notion of, of waking up. Cause you know, you're waking up two or three times. And if one of those times is at 1130, 12, 1230, it's like, oh, I got a couple more hours. No, two more minutes. What a glorious gift. Thank you, Thursday.
1: <laughs> but that's the good thing. It's Thursday, which means we're one step closer to Friday. And on this Thursday, coming up at uh, 6.45, we're going to sort of kick off a conversation today that will be held throughout the day on CJOB about North Dakota. Uh, we're doing a, another installment of co- you know the comparison between North Dakota and Manitoba during this pandemic. But we want to specifically focus at 6.45. But the things that we miss about going to North Dakota and by, you know, we'll also extend Minnesota to that conversation. I have to admit, other than Columbia Mall, Loren, I don't, I don't really know anything about North Dakota, and I feel kind of ashamed about that
2: this is this has been my issue for years now I know like everybody loves to go over the border and cross border shop and I got I every time I get over like I'm like I don't I'm not getting it like is there a sign I'm missing that's directing me to the best ever sales like I my excitement lives for is for Qdoba and then now they're in Winnipeg so I don't care anymore (laughs) I love those Mexican taco bowls and now they're here so I'm like I don't I don't know I mean I like going I like going to the hotels I like walking around and I like all that but I but the, the people who like make a Almost like a, what is it, a... a pilgrimage? annual trip. Yeah. yeah, like it's a pilgrimage to, like, <laughs> they gotta get... To Grand Forks to get their shopping. I need to go with them because I'm I'm clearly not seeing the same deals. We're well, yeah. doing the same kind of shopping.
4: Well, they call Columbia Mall the mall that Canada built. So, <laughs> do really? yeah, I think they do. I've heard that once or twice <laughs> over the years. Because let's face it, uh, Grand Forks, what has about thirty thousand people, something like that. It's I don't think it's even as big as Brandon, and that mall is you know it's not as big as Polo Park but it's got to be close to as big as Saint Vital center uh, you know like it, the, the proportion of the size of the mall to the city i think is a a little off so uh, when people mention that it makes sense to me that it's the mall that canada built west acres in fargo is a is a little fargo did i say that like a minnesotan fargo <laughs> um is a little bit larger of course and that i prefer west acres to Columbia Mall, that extra hour is well worth it in my mind.
1: I actually, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the Minnesota thing. I got into an argument once with somebody uh, at the bar who had come down from Minnesota because the the pilgrimage from Minnesota and North Dakota up to Canada, every spring break you could count on it, every the uh, every, people would come up because they could drink. Sure. Under, you know, the 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds would come up and legal. Drink. Yes. So they would come here to drink for spring break. And this one girl said, uh, well, what are you doing, Tamara? And I said, I'm sorry, what did you say? And she said, Tamara. And I said, can you just spell that for me? <laughs> Sir, say the word to, to. Say the word more, more. Say, oh, oh. Now say tomorrow, Tamara. <laughs> and she told me I was wrong. Like, what? Planet Is that your or- friend? Are you here with Tamara? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do miss the people. I miss uh, going to downtown Minneapolis. I'd love. To- I've only done that once, oh, and yeah. I had such a great mm. time. Uh, it's a neat place. So we'll have that conversation at six forty-five, and then coming up at six thirty, Loren Moore on the priority list, the vaccine.
2: Yeah, and we're getting a lot of reaction uh, today about that list that was released this week. And and some people saying, hang on, I don't know if this makes sense to me. And and what about the immunocompromised? Why aren't they higher up on the list? What about teachers? What about some of those essential workers? And so we're going to try to walk you through what it's supposed to look like and where it will go, because they did attach some loose dates to it yesterday. And so we'll give you some answers as to why some of those groups aren't maybe higher up on the list from Dr. Joss Reimer. But then uh, let us know what your questions are about where you are going to be at. Because I even, I looked at the calendar yesterday, and I think if I saw it right, June, maybe July, for 40-year-olds, Greg, oh. you get you get May, I think.
1: Yeah, it's my birthday. It's a perfect gift. <laughs> Happy birthday. Here's a vaccine. <laughs> you going to ask for it in a Can't gift be bag? Better.
2: Can't be better
4: than that. Do you have, do you have a bow for that? <laughs> Thanks. Instead of a band I'll put a bow on my arm.
1: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to take a moment here to honor an old colleague, an old friend. It's been a few years since he worked at CJOB now, but his voice has not left this radio station until this week. John Copsey, he worked at CJOB for several years as one of our news anchors. Uh, he was a reporter, an operator, uh, before he moved to Vancouver, where he's been working at CKNW doing the overnight news at the start of each hour on The Shift. I got a text message on Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock from a former colleague uh, from someone telling me that John Copsey had, had died. And what made that news even more sad was that Tuesday would have been John's 54th birthday. So last night on Charles Adler Tonight... Charles played a nice tribute from John's CKNW colleague, Gord McDonald, which we wanted to share. This is Global News. I'm John Copsey. U.S. President Joe Biden has moved quickly to change some controversial Trump administration policies. That's the voice of John Copsey. You heard him every night here on CKNW and across the Chorus Radio Network in places like Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Toronto delivering the news. We lost John suddenly this past weekend, and his death has left a big hole in our hearts in our little corner of the news world. John came to the West Coast after a career at CJOB, the Prairie News powerhouse. He was a no-fuss, no-muss kind of journalist. He just sat down and got to work, usually wearing a cardigan sweater Mr. Rogers would be proud of. It sounds a bit old-fashioned, but John Copsey was a nice man. There's a wonderful picture of John sitting at his desk, surrounded by computer screens and a microphone, smiling. He was where he was supposed to be. And to his daughter in Calgary, his family in Winnipeg, his girlfriend here, thank you. Thank you for sharing him. John Copsey was one of the good guys, and we got to work with him. And for that, we are all better. From the Global News Desk, I'm John Copsey. You know, and I have to admit, when I got that uh, text message on Tuesday morning, I had, uh, there were a few moments throughout the show where I had to fight through tears as I was, you know, like right before we were going back on the air. And, uh, you know, I know that some of you might not know the name John Copsey or remember John, but uh, many of you, I think, probably will. He used to, you know, he had a love of Phantom of the Paradise, and he uh, loved Planet of the Apes, and he would host these Halloween specials where he would look back at horror films. He was one of the most interesting men I've ever met, and one of the, ni- as Gord said, he was a nice man.
4: Yeah, I worked a lot of late nights with John Copsey when I started at 680 CJOB, when I was filling in for Jeff Courier on the Nighthawk program, uh, sometimes for the entire summer, most often it was with John Copsey doing the news and those Phantom of the Paradise conversations that were once upon a time, off-air, turned into an on-air discussion approaching Halloween one year. It must have been 2008, 2009, and then it was a regular thing. John Copsey was just a, an encyclopedia of knowledge on a bunch of different things. And yeah, how else do you, you say it any better, Brett? He was just one of the good guys.
2: And so young too. I think that was the shock. I expressed to you boy both. I said, "How old was he?" And I don't, you know, that when you lose someone, they I know the age doesn't matter, but the suddenness of that I think shocked a lot of people. And man, the, when you consider his commitment to this company and the station and and the news, right? That overnight shift. That can be a real, that can. That's. I, I don't know, is there a harder one out there in terms of, of getting up and, and working through the night and, and really caring so much that you want people at 3 a.m. to get the best possible newscast?
1: Well, and Scott saying, texting us just a few moments ago, saying, I learned overnight of former CJOB and global news personality, John Copsey's passing. My condolences to everyone. I will miss his voice in those overnight newscasts. And John, one of the things that I I was surprised to learn over the past couple of days from social media, John was uh, an instructor for a time at the Academy of Broadcasting, and there are a number... Of people who work in radio in this city in this province, who have have revealed that John was one of their instructors and he was a great guy. I had no idea how many, just how many lives that man touched. I know for me, I'll always remember remember him primarily as a guy who <laughs> I bummed smokes off of him for many years, and <laughs> he would take we would take turns bumming smokes off of each other. He was a smoking buddy for me, and that's how I got to know him. And uh, and he was. He Charles men- mentioned uh, last night on his show that one of the things he liked about John was just that he would pronounce words properly. John had such a smooth delivery, the way he would enunciate. He uh, he had a special voice, and he was a special man, and we were just sad this week to learn that he's gone.
4: Yeah, and he was a dad as well, and his daughter would come to CGOB with him sometimes and, and sit and do her homework. She was She's a sweet uh, girl, at least she was 10 years ago. And uh, so uh, condolences go uh, out to her.
1: But we start this uh, half hour with a slap in the face. That's what the Manitoba Teacher Society is calling the vaccination plan that's determined teachers and other essential workers are not receiving the vaccine in the first phase of its rollout to the general public.
2: So right now, what's happening is that Manitoba First Nations, healthcare workers and high-risk settings and people in personal care homes, they're all being vaccinated while we have this supply. And then starting next week, teams are going to focus on long-term hospital patients, people who live in supportive housing, where they might be assisted with their daily needs. Uh, and then the next phase, in March or April, April, we'll get to a bigger group of people. So we might have people in jails, shelters, healthcare workers, and the general population over 80. And then as they go forward, guys, we were saying there's a sort of a calendar. It'll start with over 80, then those over 70, then those in the over 60 group, et cetera. But what some people are talking about this morning is the other essential workers, essential workers like teachers.
5: It's not a question of uh, jumping the queue, but uh, public schools this year have, have often been described as essential and uh, we were looking to uh, to an announcement along the lines of Ontario where those adults
0: who work in public schools would would be placed uh, within the queue.
4: That's James Bedford, president of the Teachers Society, and he's not the only one who's asking questions about the plan this morning. There are some people who are immunocompromised, and they're wondering the same thing. Why aren't they... Being prioritized. In fact, I got a text message last night. I I opened it this morning and it says, hey, Greg, not sure if your listeners would be interested, but in BC, people who are medically vulnerable to COVID of all ages are in phase three of the vaccine rollout. In Ontario, they are in phase two. In Manitoba, we do not exist as any priority at all. And this is from a friend of mine who received a heart transplant about a decade ago. She also says all the messaging had to uh, you know, initially had to protect the most vulnerable. But when we are under 60 working in schools, we do not matter. And Loren, Brett, there might be some people asking, what about those working on the front lines, those people we were heralding at the beginning of the pandemic, those working In retail operations, grocery
1: stores in particular, and what about our friends in the trucking industry? That's right, and the Vaccine Implementation Task Force says there will be tweaks and changes in the weeks ahead, but right now, here's Global's Marnie Blunt with more on how it's looking right now.
2: Phase one, which is already underway, includes select healthcare workers, First Nations at risk, and personal care home residents. Phase two could start as early as March and will include Manitobans over the age of 80, an expanded group of health care workers, as well as those at higher risk in congregate living facilities, such as correctional centers, group homes and homeless shelters. Phase three will aim to inoculate Manitobans over the age of 60, additional health care workers in areas such as acute and dental clinics, and congregate living staff and residents not previously included. And phase four will include Manitobans over the age of 18 and all remaining health care workers. So I thought that was worth sort of reiterating how this is going to go twice, guys, because people are trying to take a look at the charts that were posted uh, yesterday and trying to listen to what was said and still thinking, okay, like, where do I fit? Because there's different categories that you might be a part of depending on your job. And then, of course, there's the age factor. And of, as you mentioned, Greg, there's people saying, well, hang on, I've been really stressed for the past year, almost. I'm immunocompromised. I might be fighting cancer. I haven't gone out. I've been scared of getting this virus. And I'm not on that list. And Dr. Joss Reimer, who leads the task force says right now their understanding of the science is that this age-based approach in that fourth phase right everybody over 18 is what they feel is the best way to prevent serious outcomes in all. We have some time before we have enough vaccine available to open up to groups like that and we want to use that time to make some informed decisions where we can look at the evolving science, we can look at the local epidemiology, we can talk to some of our key stakeholders um, and make those decisions in the coming months so uh, for me you know it's easy for me to sit here and say I'm fine with how this works I think it really just depends on how you've been feeling and fighting through this over the past 10 months if you've been if you've been in at the, the clerk at the grocery store who's had people coughing around you and had people yell at you and constantly telling people to keep their distance and obey the rules and not put your stuff on the line. Or if you're um, you know, that person who is ill and fighting off a, another disease right now, you might be thinking, hang on, I need to be higher up. But I think you know, right now we have to pause with our emotions, Greg, because I think we'll see some tweaks in the weeks ahead depending on what we learn as we go forward. And this
4: could get emotional for a lot of people because we're pretty quick to, well, what about me? And I get that. I understand. I just got a text message, or we did it, 780-6868. Just found out yesterday that a retired nurse who's not working on the front lines but doing contract tracing got a vaccine shot. That frustrates me. So I just hope that that doesn't overtake the conversation as, well, how come they're getting it and I'm not getting it? There's lots of people who could build a case for getting it ahead of others. Uh, hopefully we, we, we do build some priorities in here. Otherwise, it's going to feel as though all the things we said at the beginning of this about you're important, you're important, you're a hero, you're that we're a little bit empty if we're not prioritizing some people who have genuinely been on the front lines all along.
1: Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. And the question that went up yesterday afternoon, how do you feel about the next stage of the vaccine priority list? 65% say satisfied, 35% say dissatisfied. Cast your vote, cjob.com. Mackling McGarry McNabb, just want to quickly say thank you to uh, all those who have texted so far to express their condolences and well wishes uh, to, after the news that uh, our former colleague and friend John Copsey uh, had died. Uh, in recent days. He was the overnight news anchor on the Chorus Radio Network on The Shift, uh, former CJOB colleague of ours. Uh, so uh, it, it heartens me to see how many of you are, are reaching out uh, to express uh, some sentiments in that regard. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we do want to switch gears though, now and because one of the things we're going to be talking about today is continuing to look at the differences between Manitoba and North Dakota as it pertains to the pandemic. So we want to take a few minutes and have some fun with what do we miss about going to North Dakota? What do we miss about going to Minnesota? And if you don't miss either of those, you can tell us why. 204-780-6868. Let's go around the horn here. We got Cameron Poitras. We got Jeff Forte. We got Jeff Braun.
3: Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I'm one of the guys that uh, never really went to North Dakota for vacation. Uh, It always kind of baffled me because I'm not a shopper, right? So I was like, you're going to go spend your weekend in Grand Forks just to go to Target. I didn't really get that. <laughs> but honest to God, after being stuck at home for almost a year now, a trip to Grand Forks it feels like a Hawaiian vacation to me at this point. <laughs> I would love to go there and go down, what is it, like a water slide at a hotel? That's the other big attraction, and eat weird food and drink cheap beer. It would be a just blessing i would love to do it i can't wait to get to grand forks
1: that was one of our text messages from somebody who says hey don't judge me i just missed the cheap beer and the cheap Mar- marlboros so i <laughs> said hey usa I'll usa, USA up, cheap
4: booze and cheap
3: smokes I'll, I'll take up smoking again <laughs> if i go down there. Uh,
4: haven't you had two uh, two trips canceled because of the pandemic
3: jeff I uh, no, we had a trip to Whistler canceled because of the pandemic.
4: And then normally you go uh, out east at oh.
3: Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Christmas plans are scotched as well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Poitras, what about you? Well, I got a my mom's best friend lives in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, so I know it's been tough on her over a year. hasn't been able to see her 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 friend Cheryl, and I know that they're really really close. And sometimes a phone call doesn't uh, doesn't do it justice, considering all the times that she would head down there or Cheryl would come up here. So. Uh, I got to mention that for my mom because yeah, it's 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 affecting a lot of people. Um, But yeah, I mean, I wish I could go down to uh, to Grand Forks. It's just kind of like a a place like I got to get out of the city. I got to get out of this country for. A couple of days at least, and just to head down to Grand Forks has has always been nice, and uh, just you know, just to escape. And I don't miss uh, the people when they find out that you're going to Grand Forks. Uh, uh, going about what Braun just said, uh, hey, pick me up a carton of smokes on the way back. Uh, I don't miss that, but uh, yeah, it's nice to it's 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 just a getaway. It's a get it's get out of the city, get out of this place, go there, have a you know, have a bunch of money in your pocket that's all exactly that looks exactly the same, and but it's nice. <laughs>
2: You, ever... you need to, if you ever want to know about that, I don't want to say it's anticlimactic, take, take some kids across the border. Tell them you're going to America on a trip, cross the border, and they'll just turn to you and be like, so this looks kind of like the same as the other side. <laughs> Except the highways That's...
3: are much better. <laughs> And you can go slightly faster on them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the things I just enjoy about
1: crossing the border is just seeing all the different snacks and even the old Dutch chips. You cross the border, you stop at a gas station, the first gas station, and then the old Dutch chips look different and they
5: taste different. I was going to say cheese in a can, Tahiti treats cheese in a can. Cheese in a can.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: just right in a the mixture,
4: A mixture of cheese whiz and Yuck. and, and, uh, and d- a dairy whip or whatever it is in that in that, <laughs> in that aerosol can. A mist, mystery <laughs>
1: substance. <laughs> I wonder if you can do whippets off of those. Oil byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> 4TA, so is that what you miss about going to well, North sh- Dakota?
5: Yeah, shopping for for those uh, sweet treats, staying in a hotel, It's like Braun said, going down the water side or just swimming in the pool. But something I've always wanted to do. I've never done, but I want to go to a Vikings game. I want to go to an NFL game. Never been there. Want to feel that atmosphere. Yeah, you know that's on my bucket list. And that's a pretty good place if you
1: want to hit all of the major sports. GMAC they've got hockey, football, basketball, baseball.
4: They've got it all in Minnesota and in the Twin Cities. In fact, I went to St. Paul Saints game there a couple summers ago, and they used to play in the same league as the Gold Eyes, but now they've got moved up. They are now the Twins AAA team, their major farm league affiliate, just across the Mississippi River from from the Twins in Minneapolis. So that would be kind of cool to go down for a weekend and hit the Triple A games and a major league game. Uh, They've got all the great transportation in Minneapolis. But uh, one of our listeners saying that they miss the good roads of Minnesota and North Dakota, Cam, you touched on that. Uh, These people ride motorcycle, and so the highways in North Dakota so much better Uh, They said they also missed the Blue Moose, Texas Roadhouse. There are about a dozen (laughs) Texas Roadhouse references already on the text line. And my personal favorite... Paradiso because yes. it's about as close as you can get to Cheech's.
3: <laughs> if you go to Fargo, you have to go to Paradiso. If you go in there on a weekend when you're actually allowed to, half that place is people from Winnipeg. I always no find no question every time. Yeah, people love that place. It's Look. famous world fam- well famous in Manitoba at least. <laughs> it's Manitoba <laughs> world Manitoba famous. world famous.
1: <laughs> Loren, what about you?
2: Yeah. I, okay. So I, I miss going just for the getting out, you know, and doing something different, but, but I think I need some sort of, when things return to normal, I need someone to take me on a tour, like take me on the Grand Forks tour of what you really love about the shopping, where you get the best deals. Because every time I've gone, I've come back, I'll come back with cheese. Like I do enjoy that <laughs> in cheese. A can? And uh, <laughs> in a can, like the spray cheese. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> no. The cheese is cheap, so that's great. When you were allowed to bring chicken, chicken is cheaper. There's like food I get and the alcohol I get, but everything else. People are so disappointed when I come back from the states. They're like, "Ooh, what kind of? What, what, show me the clothes you have got. Like, did you get any new shoes? Did you get any stuff from the? Is it Menards? Like the home wear place? Save saving oh, money, money at Menards. At Menards. <laughs>
4: yeah, you can get, get cheese salsa at Menards too. By the way. <laughs>
2: And I'm like, no, I don't get it. So next, you know, when things return to normal, take me along, guide me through your saving ways because I, I'm not getting it.
1: We asked you last half hour, what do you miss about going to North Dakota, about going to Minnesota? Kristen says, I really miss going to Fargo's Red River Zoo and the Minnesota Zoo. I also really miss just being able to go to Mike's Parcel Pickup. No more fun $5 t-shirts for me until things reopen. But yeah, how many people, you know, Greg, who had to make a little road trip down to North Dakota to pick up a package, whether they were just trying to save money on shipping or just simply because the package could not be shipped to Canada.
4: That's right. There's a business just across the line that uh, acts as a pseudo address for dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of Manitobans. So you can uh, get the stuff you want, That the manufacturers or the retailers don't want to send to Canada. Canada? There's no such place as Canada. You must come to America to get this item.
1: (laughs) Also, Greg, I don't know if you saw this, but somebody found something on Facebook. It looks like a vintage Winnipeg page. It's an ad for Cheechies from 1982. (laughs) did not see that. That's a text from, uh, I believe it's from Paul. I will have to to search for that. (laughs) That came in at 6.54 a.m. So keep texting us. The things you miss about... Minnesota, and North Dakota. This week on Wall Street, meanwhile, it's all about the hedge funds who have been helping the rich get richer for years.
4: It's also about a group of ordinary investors sharing stock tips on the social media platform Reddit in order to make a whole lot of cash, all the while creating headaches, massive financial headaches for the aforementioned hedge funds. An inter-based frenzy leading thousands of investors to buy stocks into a BlackBerry, GameStop this week, driving the price so high. Trading in some shares were actually halted twice yesterday. Famous investor Michael Burry calls the GameStop rally... An Unnatural, insane, and dangerous. Burry was made famous by the movie The Big Short, which tells the story of how he successfully shorted the U.S. housing market.
0: Banks have conditioned us to trust them. What have we got from that? 25% interest rates on credit cards. They have screwed us on student loans that we can never get out from under.
3: When the banks committed the greatest fraud in U.S. history... No one is paying attention. It's unbelievable. Four outsiders risked it all to take them down.
2: We're going to make the big banks hurt. That was, of course, a scene from the movie The Big Short. Now you could argue that this group on Reddit is trying to take some of those hedge funds down. Lots of people made money. Lots of people lost money yesterday. Billions wiped from the Wall Street funds. And essentially, some are arguing this is ordinary Americans pitted against billionaires. Brian Borzakowski is a business writer based in Winnipeg who contributes regularly to CNBC and Canadian business and CNN money. And he joins us now. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, this is a complicated story, but at the same time, it's it's pretty simple. There's some people who've gotten together and uh, they're taking a run at this. Explain to us what's happening here.
0: Right. So yeah, it is. It is. It is it's really interesting. Um, there are kind of two sides to this, as you were mentioning in the opening. There, there's the uh, it, there's investors, um, but you know, I, I don't know if like, they're ordinary investors. There are a lot of people who come together on Reddit on this. Uh, channel wall street bets which has been around for a long time and they kind of talk about different ideas that they want to invest in um they've they've about two million or now it's a lot more but it was two million at the time um people on this on this on this reddit and they were decided to get together and uh put money into gamestop um, and and one of the reasons they chose gamestop is because on the other, other side of this you have the short sellers and these are people who um, want to, to to, they bet on stocks going down and there's a long history of people not liking these people in part because when they you know say that they think this stock is going to go down they, they kind of screw all the investors who are in this stock because um, they often say something's wrong with the stock and so then the stock price falls and all these people who were in in these stocks end up uh, you know, losing a lot of money so this is kind of a, a reverse on that a bit and so um, this stock, uh, GameStop, um, a lo- there's a lot of people shorting this, and and so what happens is when um, a bunch of investors get into the stock, drive the price up. The short sellers at some point have to start buying the stock as well. I mean, it's a sort of a complicated process, but they don't want to lose. They can lose money indefinitely, and so so to avoid that, they end up buying the stock that they're shorting, and that drives the price up even more. And so the stock. Sky rockets and that's kind of what's I mean that is what's happening here and it's been pitted a bit as this um you know, regular investors versus these greedy short sellers um, I, I you know it might be some of that I think it's some of that, um but I think it's 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 maybe not as complicated as that, and then it's just I think a lot of people having kind of fun on reddit and, <laughs> and seeing what can happen and uh, yeah, squeezing a lot of short sellers, but I think ultimately could squeeze the uh, average investor too here.
4: well, you're using the word uh, regular and uh, out of that word comes regulation, and some hedge fund uh, managers now all of a sudden screaming for regulations on this sort of stuff, Brian. And Stephen uh, Panwazi. I'm sure you're familiar with his work as a financial writer. He tweeted out uh, yesterday morning, 10 years ago, hedge funds lent people money to buy houses they couldn't afford, bet against their ability to pay, then bought the houses people lost at discounts and rented it back to them. That was legal. Taking advantage of hedge funds, question mark? We need regulations.
0: Oh, right i don't so that part I, um, I, I don't like like it's one thing if, if someone is finding a uh, something in the market here where people can get together and buy the stock i mean these are these aren't um you know multimillionaire investors although some claim now on reddit that they are after doing this but um it, you know it isn't fair like if they if they just started putting regulations on to stop this one particular practice um, I think you know there are things in the market that are unfair on both sides, and it is true that a lot of times it's kind of the average investor that gets screwed and then the market gets um i don 't want to say manipulated but moved around by high frequency trading by these big billionaires who can buy a stock and move it um depending on what it is so uh, you know there was there was trading was halted, as you said, and also there was um, some of these trading apps, which is another reason why this is happening, although know, you can trade so much more easily these days than you could years ago using just you know the app on your phone but some of the brokerage firms um, halted trading on some of these things and made it difficult. And that stuff, that stuff, you know, does kind of, I think, incite the uh, audience a bit more, these investors more to keep this going, because it isn't isn't—it isn't fair if all of a sudden people are coming out and saying we got to regulate this when other things aren't regulated.
1: Brian Borzakowski, business writer who contributes to CNBC, Canadian Business and CNN Money, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brian, thank you very much for the time. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you. It is time for the Small Town Salute, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. Just 30 minutes north on Highway 59. Visit southbeachcasino.ca for updates. Now, when you were a kid... How many times did you insist that you wanted to take this lesson or that lesson?
4: <laughs> many of us had or have boxes or maybe even closets filled with the sports equipment needed to play the game we all wanted to play so badly or or, or our kids begged us to try. We know that bicycles and cross-country skis have become very popular during the pandemic there's another activity people seem to be discovering many for the first time loren snowshoeing
2: yeah. and i think this is I, I don't know how many pictures i've seen of people doing this and i have to say i i can guess many of them would never have given this the shot before but now they have the time the question is do they have access to the equipment that's an obstacle for many of us wanting to try something new going out and purchasing a set of snowshoes, sh- shoes if you've never tried it before might not make sense how about trying it first well that's where our next guest comes in tyler king is the director of economic development for the town of carmen and the rm of dufferin good morning tyler good morning so is do i understand this right try before you buy how's this working Yeah, it's an
5: opportunity for people to try a program before they go out and and purchase it, or they may just want to keep uh, borrowing the equipment. So we have snowshoes and trekking poles available for a free four-day loan, and the program is available uh, to our residents until April 1st. Uh, there are people that are taking advantage of it now. We have sizes for pretty much everyone. Uh, they range in size from 17-inch, which is for 50 pounds and less, uh, up to 36 for 210 to 265 pounds. And they're available on a first-come, first-served basis from our office. And it's a program that was uh, uh, partially paid for by uh, Safe at Home NB, which gives us a new opportunity to get people to try something different. I tried them out. It's kind of fun.
4: Well, I don't know uh, about the last time before this this time that you just tried them, Tyler. I haven't been on snowshoes probably since we went on a school trip to Lower Fort Gary about forty years ago, and of course, snowshoes have changed quite a bit in the last two or three hundred years.
5: Yes, they're pretty uh, lightweight, uh, the ones that we have, and and having the poles helps out a lot more for stability, especially those of us that are trying it for the first time. And uh, yeah, they're they're pretty slick, easy to put on, and, and you can get going pretty quick.
1: No, I mean, just curious. When you like, let's say you're you're tromping through some really deep snow, um, do the snowshoes sort of help prevent you from going in too far?
5: Yes, yes, they do. They help keep you a little higher up on the surface. Um, I was trying them out in some fairly deep snow myself, and even though it was a little bit powdery, it actually worked pretty well. Um, I'm not a light person by any means, so I think that uh, that anybody can try it out and have fun with it. We've had some of our uh, residents pick them up, and I think a couple of them have tried them out a couple of times now, so it's it's kind of fun.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you get to explore and see maybe your community from a different angle. Right. A lot of us use the sidewalks and streets. But when you get down into those ravines, areas or creeks, beds or walk alongside them or snowshoes, snowshoe alongside them, Tyler, you get to see things from a different perspective. Uh, What are some of your favorite spots to go?
5: Absolutely. There's uh, a few places that are really neat to try them out. We have a a skating trail on a river, but we also have it cleared so that you can either walk on it or also uh, use the snowshoes on there. So in some of those areas, it's really neat to, to take a look at something that You normally can't because uh, um, if you don't have a canoe or kayak in the summer to go on the river, uh, this is an opportunity. You can see people's houses from a different perspective than what you normally see. Uh, Lots of wildlife. It's really neat to be able to go into some different areas that you normally just wouldn't go and walk through because you don't usually just walk through a ditch in the middle of summer.
4: Good point uh, Tyler. Now I think we've made an assumption here that most people know where Carmen is but we'll have you tell us where you are and then uh, maybe just give us the the 60 second sales pitch about life in your part of the province and why you like it there so much and maybe even why people might consider moving there or opening a business in your, your part of Manitoba.
5: Sure. So Carmen is located just 45 minutes southwest of Winnipeg along Highway Number 3. We're south of Portage, north of Morden and Winkler, so we're kind of nice and centrally located between some larger centres. We have uh, excellent community, lots of amenities, some really neat little boutique shops, uh, some great restaurants, some unique places to be able to try food. Our- um, we've talked, I think, previously on the show about our golf course and the summertime is really neat. Uh, we have cross-country ski trails in the winter. Uh, we have a new toboggan slide that's been rebuilt. We had one it was in poor shape. We've rebuilt it now for people. Uh, we've got uh, ice fishing on Stevensfield Lake snowmobiling. Uh, We've got a lot of things that are fun for people to do Uh, because of our central location. It's a great place to live. And because of our great amenities, uh, lots of people do live here and commute to other places potentially for work or maybe uh, commute here for work from other places. So uh, some of them may be looking at uh, maybe relocating too.
1: Tyler King, Director of Economic Development for the Town of Carmen and the RM of Dufferin, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Tyler, thank you for the visit. Much appreciated, sir.
5: Thank you very much. Anytime. Yeah, these are snowshoes.
1: I've seen so many people uh, on social media showing pics of their and video of these newfangled snowshoes. I don't know how newfangled they are, but I, I just... They really, are. Uh, yeah?
2: Well, I, we have some. And the, what they have now, because what do you, you were you going to say you remember the tennis racket look?
1: Yeah, Yeah, And actually, I remember, I think it was in grade six, we were out uh, on the baseball diamond at a coal region park, playing with these snowshoes. And then the like the class ended. And we put all the snowshoes back in the bag. But then like my teacher and everybody else just walked away and left this bag there. And I felt and I was the last one I thought, am I supposed to drag this thing back to school? And it weighed like, I don't know, it, it must have been 200 pounds because I couldn't, I tried for 15 minutes to drag this thing across the field and I, and I couldn't, and I remember I was lying on the ground. My mom's waiting for me. She came to pick me up that day. I finally had to abandon the bag and then go to the office and say, I don't know what to tell you, but there's a bag of snowshoes <laughs> sitting in the middle of the field that weighs a ton <laughs> that I cannot get back to school. Monsieur Rondeau just left me there. So, and then my mom yelled at me when I got, where were you? What, I've been waiting for 20 minutes and go. There was this bag of snowshoes, Mom, I didn't know what to do. So, yes, those are the snowshoes I'm thinking of. <laughs> I, like
2: I, rem- the, I like the journey we took to get there, yeah. Brett. That's Thank a you. great
4: story. <laughs> uh, and uh, Monsieur Rondeau, uh, you know, Brett's a good Samaritan. He was just trying to help out. But I remember them coming to school in a great big wooden box on wheels and then you would you know you size up and which ones you want and then you would take them out in the field and practice trekking around and then uh when i lived in brandon we made the big big trek from brandon to lower fort gary and that was i think the last time i was in on snowshoes it was back in the In the late 1970s, early 1980s, and I'm dying to try it again because they do look so cool. I think that's the biggest part of it is the technology is so neat now.
2: And the best part is that they come with these walking sticks. Nothing makes you feel more official than that little prod thing that you can extend. You're like, here I'm an explorer. Look at me go. And you're like basically on the sidewalk and you're feeling like, oh, I'm intrepid. Like, check me out. Did
4: you say intrepid?
2: Is that the right use of the word? I like to throw the wrong words all the time. I love
4: intrepid. That's great.
1: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, just a reminder that Premier Brian Pallister is speaking at 11 o'clock today with a flood protection update. Now, that will not be carried live on 680 CJOB, but of course, we will bring you any important details that come out of that. And then the daily uh, COVID briefing at 1230 uh, will be on CJOB. Uh, We want to continue our conversation in a moment about North Dakota and Minnesota and the things that you miss about crossing the border and going on a little trip to our to see our friends in the south. But before that, uh, Loren McNabb, what are we doing, or what are we hearing from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business?
2: Well, they put out this release every year. It's, it's about the Golden Scissors Award. You know, which province or jurisdiction gets the Golden Scissors Award for cutting red tape, right? All the regulations that might get in the way of small business just doing their jobs. And so I had to, I have to give a hand to them because they're quite clever in how they wrote this and it got me thinking about some of the things that you hope might stick around post-pandemic if we can even think about a post-pandemic world they've written this news release that says raise a glass to red tape reduction the golden scissors award recognizes the efforts to modernize alcohol sales in manitoba and then they go on to say you know tongue in cheek it may have taken a global pandemic to get governments to tackle <laughs> red tape but they've done it and so we have to think back to the beginning of this pandemic when we were looking to do all we could to help restaurants and still are. And so the province fast tracked uh, an alcohol delivery uh, mechanism so that restaurants could actually deliver alcohol, which they weren't allowed to do before. And they introduced this bill back in April last year saying, okay, yep, go ahead, deliver alcohol with your food. And I think that really helped boost the sales at many restaurants. And then uh, cities like Winnipeg also made patio season better. If we have to think way back to the summer when restaurants are saying, please, can you help us uh, get a patio license when you wouldn't have given us one before? Let us put it on the sidewalk. Let Let us put it into the street. Let us build these patios. And so they changed some of the red tape at city hall so that restaurants could do this. I don't know if that one's going to be a permanent change. That was temporary at the time for patio expansion, Craig, but it really has me thinking about, a the, the funny line about how a pandemic had to get was what forced governments to do this, but also hopefully these are some of the things that stick around for businesses because they need their help. They need our help right now.
4: Well, I think it's also opened our eyes to our ability to make decisions on the fly. We might not and always, quickly, yeah, yeah. and more quickly, yeah. Not like maybe not get it completely right. Right off the bat, but uh, be open to discussion and modifying things as we go on the fly. Not studying every single thing to death before we we dare take one step towards some progress. Uh, the idea that you had to have some sort of special permit for an outdoor patio once a certain time of year. Came around in Manitoba. I found that so bizarre. And then the uh, whole definition of what's enclosed, what's not enclosed, etc. Here we are. We live in a part of the world with some of the best summers anywhere. And you're putting restrictions on how people who are selling a good time, how they can do their business. And then there are... Other operations that would maybe like to extend their operations into those uh, shoulder seasons, if you'd like, into the spring, maybe open a little bit earlier or a little bit later. And I understand there's fire safety when you've got heaters and all that sort of stuff. Well, come on, let's go. Let's, Let's get on it. And come up with some options for people who want to go down that road. You know, I get this with business. I have some beats sometimes with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Some of the things they go after and some of the things they complain about. This is not one of them. Getting no. in the way of people with good ideas, with the resources to implement them, do it safely without affecting other people negatively. I'm all for that every single time. Like, it's Sometimes it's just like, government, get out the way. Get out the way.
2: Yeah. And you, Brett, I want to point out this stat to you because I know you've single-handedly been trying to do your part to save the restaurant industry in this province. Which- <laughs> yeah. With multiple orders and kudos, honestly. And I know you actually are, you you like the food, but you're also just really a big, big proponent and of our small businesses and restaurants. And, And CFIB says they think that many restaurants have an eight year recovery to reach normal revenue levels at the current rate of sales increases at the way they're slowly rising again. And so, man, that's a long road to recovery. Many won't make it. And the more we can do that makes sense. I'm not saying just cut all the tape, which I always picture a room full of red tape whenever I say that. But but help out, right, Brett? Because, ma'am, we how many times have we talked about just restaurants at least being such a crucial part of our local economy?
1: Well, and I know that uh, the red tape in this province, the bureaucracy in this province as it pertains to stuff like liquor laws has always been a source of frustration for the hospitality industry. And we saw how quickly they moved on some of these changes earlier. And it makes you wonder, like, why... Do we have, can't we just sweep away some of the other silly rules? Now, I know that they have made a lot of changes over the years to kind of loosen things up, and it's not nearly as archaic as it was, say, 20 years ago. But uh, I remember when they, for example, when they introduced the the minimum, and I'm not saying we should go back and and roll that back, but when they introduced the minimum drink price, that kind of changed, I think that sort of changed the landscape for a lot of the, the nightlife scene in this city, and I think it also, at least, and we're going back a long time now, but I know what it did was encourage more pre-drinking, which I think probably led to some people driving when they shouldn't, when they otherwise maybe wouldn't have been. Uh, so sometimes the the rules that they put in place to either protect us from ourselves can end up causing more harm. So it's good to see at least that they're now open, To the idea of loosening things up to make things simpler, Greg.
4: What I fear is that you've just made a cause and justified the notion of of more study and more thought before changing a rule because uh, quite often they do not think about the ramifications of the changes that they make, uh, good, bad or otherwise, or well-intentioned. But I think, Loren, that, that there will be some, once again, we've got to find the silver lining to everything uh, if we're going to make it through this pandemic uh, healthily or as healthily as possible. I truly believe that with the restaurant and the hospitality industry behind the eight ball like they are, I, I have faith that government, although, you know, <laughs> in saying that, there have been some changes that, that could have been made on the fly that weren't to allow some individual businesses with kind of funky licenses, just an alteration would allow them to stay open a little bit longer. We don't need to go down that road right now, but I have some faith that there will be an acknowledgement here that we don't need to have a free-for-all, doesn't need to be the wild, wild west, but yeah, some things that have been unreasonable for a long time, there might be some openness to, to saying, yeah, you know what, we can change this. It's going to benefit you and ultimately benefit us as a society, as an
1: economy overall. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb talking today a lot about North Dakota in the latest round of comparisons to see how North Dakota is doing versus Manitoba during this pandemic. And that I was talking earlier about the things that we miss about going to North Dakota, about going to Minnesota. And I have always wanted to go back to Minneapolis. uh, Ten years ago or so, my then-girlfriend and I went to Minneapolis for a couple of days, just a little road trip. Hung out, and uh, I was blown away at how cool their downtown was, and I didn't realize how busy their local or their music scene was. Tons of major acts go through Minneapolis, and just some of the hotels. There's a there's a really neat looking hotel in downtown Minneapolis. I think I can't. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. The Fauche, the Fauché.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Look, yeah. I, just, I just said mm-hmm, like both were right. You know, it's one of those words. Where like, mm-hmm, you can say it. But you could also do it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct.
1: It just looks so cool. And when we were only there for a couple of days, there was some pub that had lawn bowling on the roof. And mm-hmm. uh, we went to that pub and we couldn't get up to the lawn bowling because, because it was so busy.
2: Uh, and there's a hotel I stayed in, I'm trying to remember when I went down for a Garth Brooks concert. I want to say it's the, the West, it's in a bank. It used to be a bank. And so the bar is super cool because Holy you can meat. sit in like the old um, vaults or whatever you would call it where the, the money would be stored. So there's lots. Of, it's a, that's a pretty cool oh, city. Oh, that
4: sounds fun. Uh, we're forgetting South Dakota too. I just <laughs> got a text message from my buddy Al. He goes, Mackling. Don't forget South Dakota. You got the Black Hills. You got Pierre. You've got all sorts of things to do. Sturgis. So yeah, I've never
2: been to South Dakota. I always veer to the east to Minnesota.
4: Yeah, well, South Dakota is absolutely beautiful as you get into that southwestern corner. And the Badlands are are gorgeous. Mount Rushmore, of course. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, mm, I was going to make a Trump reference, but I'm not going to. Uh, Mount Rushmore is still a pretty cool place to see. Well, let's put it that way.
2: I also su- suggest, and I probably talked to you guys about this before. But I, last time I went to Minneapolis, we were early to visit family, and so we took a detour to the world's largest ball of twine in Minnesota. I mean, and uh, you know, it's uh, definitely not worth the trip, but it, but it was, but it was pretty funny. I was like, oh, didn't stop you from taking it though, did it? it? Really, is just a ball of twine. Yeah, huh. and
4: and then if you want to go a little further south, you can go Dyersville, Iowa, to the Field of Dreams. That would not, be worth it. Now, that's, now that's a trek. Iowa, you say? Iowa. Ah. I say Iowa. Hawkeyes. Hawkeyes. Go Hawkeyes.
1: Yeah, they're at well, the And I think that, that sort of shows one of the reasons why I would like to be able, just to be able to do this again is to, I think you mentioned it, Loren, is to just explore because I, I've not really seen much of North Dakota. I've only seen bits and pieces of Minnesota outside of Minneapolis and St. Paul that just uh, went tubing in Red Lake Falls. Good memories of that. And I'm just looking, by the way, at a large ball of twine. The biggest ball of twine. Looks like there are a whole bunch of them. As of 2014, the ball of twine with the largest circumference, for example, was located in Cocker City, Kansas.
2: Oh, it sounds what? like there's a there's a. Do twi- not tell my kids that they still talk about that day. And I was like, and I always tell them, you know, when I'm gone, you'll always have this memory. And they're like, of oh, the twine? That's but, what you want us to remember?
1: But the, there's the largest ball of sisal twine built by a single person, and that's in Darwin, Minnesota. Is that where you went? Yes. It's uh, 12 feet know. in diameter. I couldn't tell
2: you the town. I have no idea. Yes. It's a ball of twine, Brett, in yes. a glass cage.
1: And uh, yeah, of it's emotion. In, Yeah, it's in. It is glass cage. It's like a little veranda.
2: Yeah. How big it's, is it?
1: It's as big. Eight it's, tons. Yeah. It weighs 17,000 pounds. Oh,
2: my and, word. and one guy, I think, he started rolling it. He would wrap about four hours every day for 29 years. And they actually have a <laughs> twine ball day on the second Saturday in August every year. Oh, my god. And word. Uh, it was the long. Oh, here it is. It was the longest standing holder until 1994. Weird Al also sang about it. <laughs> the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota Yeah, <laughs> oh, then, uh, You just made the correlation
4: You, you know you the, I you know know the, the lyric I don't know the oh, song well, well, We're going to have to find it And uh, I don't know if that ball of twine Compares to uh, some of the hockey tape balls That guys used to build over a hockey season If you, if you played hockey You know what I'm talking about Hey give me all your tape Because there were guys that would want to make a hockey tape ball over the course of the season. Some of those got pretty big. Not not as large as that twine
1: ball in Minnesota, though. (laughs) Earlier in the week, we were discussing the difficulties our kids may be having in interpreting the emotion being conveyed by others because of the fact we are wearing masks indoors.
2: Yeah, and if you combine that, with the, less obvi- with the upheaval in time, dedicated personal interests and pursuits like music, dance, and athletics all being lost along the way. You have the dramatic changes in how our children are receiving their education day to day. You have that mask issue about how we're communicating. Uh, it's an understatement, really, Greg, to say it's been a long 10-month stretch. And so we want to ask this morning, how can we help? Because we know kids might struggle with a variety of emotional and developmental challenges aside from this pandemic, and they might be amplified or new as we work our way
4: through this yeah we know this is a case all the time and we also highlighted the work being done by the true north sports and entertainment foundation project 11 these programs exist plain and simply because there's a need in fact one estimate from the world health organization says that one in five children and adolescents have an anxiety disorder that's important to know because a child or Adolescents experiencing an anxiety disorder may also then experience inhibited personal development, academic underachievement, social isolation and or depression. I think this all leads to the question, how do we help? Project lead on KidThink, Fred's Resilience, partnership with Winnipeg School Division is Carrie Deschambault and Carrie joins us now. Good morning, Carrie. How are you today?
6: Oh, good morning. I am well,
4: thank you. Well, all these stats that acknowledge uh, you know, that we, we now have to know about what kids deal with is one thing. How do we help is ultimately the question we need to answer.
6: Exactly, and you know we're really excited to be here talking about this today. Um, the Friends Resilience Program is uh, an initiative that KidThink is trying to make accessible to as many uh, children and families as we can in our community. Um, it is a, uh, a program that was developed by Dr. Paula Barrett out of Australia. And it's endorsed by the World Health Organization as a best practice for the prevention and the treatment of anxiety and depression in children. And at the same time, it also helps all children develop um, emotional resilience skills. And so this is a program that, you know, we started out being able to offer free online access to a family resilience building program. Um, So any family that's interested in accessing this program for free um, can reach out to us. Um, But then most recently, we've been able to jump into a partnership with the Winnipeg School Division to start rolling out this program in their classrooms.
2: You used a phrase there, uh, emotional resilience. What do you mean by that in terms of how important that is for our kids to, to create that in them? Is that something that naturally is there or that we have to work on over the years?
6: Yeah, well, you know, it, it depends. I mean, some children just naturally have some of this innate ability, perhaps more than others. But it's definitely a, like skills that can be developed because we know that it's inevitable that children are going to face challenges throughout their lives. And, you know, the last 10 months, here we are at dealing with COVID-19. And so when we talk about emotional resilience, we're talking about helping kids be able to develop um, active coping skills for how they can approach Um, a range of challenges in their lives. And, you know, the first step with that is really helping kids develop this emotional literacy. So really being able to recognize and name their feelings, um, both for themselves and in others, and then developing um, some of these coping skills.
1: Now, creating these resources is great, but is delivering the material the most difficult part of the mental wellness question?
6: Um, You know creating access is always a challenge um and fortunately we have um had the generous support of the children's hospital foundation of manitoba and that has allowed us to start you know offering this to families the online program free of charge um and as well to to work with this uh, winnipeg school division and last week we started to roll this out um in Uh, We have nine different schools that are on board with this and over 250 students will be accessing this program and it's going to be delivered by some of the school clinicians. So we've been able to train uh, 10 school clinicians, um, some psychologists, some social workers, uh, as well as some guidance counselors to help us deliver the program to as many children as we can.
4: Carrie, you mentioned resilience, and uh, for Brett's benefit, I would typically break into my teenager voice here. I've got the 14-year-old twin teenagers at home, and last night we're cooking supper together, (laughs) and it was awesome. But uh, one of the boys that remains nameless, uh, Alexander, says, Dad, where's the can opener? And I'm like, well, it's either in that drawer, that drawer, or that drawer. And he had opened exactly one drawer where it normally is, expecting it to be there. And th- the idea of opening more than one or two drawers seemed to be a real chore for my boy yesterday and I know it's such a minor thing but it just had me thinking about this idea of resilience and this this ability and this want this need that should be on the other side to solve a problem are there some clues here uh, when it comes to our kids tools that we can give them and things we should be watching for that will tell us that they're struggling with that notion of resiliency
6: For sure. You know, when we talk about resilience, we're really talking about the ability to be able to, you know, approach uh, challenges and problems with a a growth mindset, to be able to persist through difficulties, and to be able to bounce back when we've been through something challenging and being able to learn and grow from that. And so, you know, some of the skills that we look at teaching children are things like um, problem-solving skills. Sometimes that doesn't always come naturally to, to all children. Um, We can teach them about um, how to start recognizing, you know, maybe these unhelpful, negative thoughts that they might be having that are getting in the way of them being able to, you know, achieve their goals or or move through challenges and helping them be able to change those into more helpful but realistic thoughts that can help them persist through those challenges. Um, The other thing, you know, we can look for is, you know, children who might get really easily overwhelmed um, by various tasks. And so one of the things that this Friends Resilience Program teaches is about coping step plans. So how do we help children break um, tasks that seem overwhelming to them into really small steps and help them focus one step at a time um, to gain a sense of mastery, a sense of confidence in their skills and abilities that will allow them to move on to the next step.
2: This is a really cool program for kids, but I wanted to highlight something you're also doing when it comes to the delivery of the Friends Resilience Program in schools and, and- other is that you're also looking to the adults to help train, you know, quote unquote adults, because I think when you talk about how hard it is for, for kids in these, especially in these times, it's hard for the adults too. And we're supposed to be guiding them along the way, but that's not always easy.
6: Yes, no, you're right. And that is one of the, the great things about this program because it really engages the entire community surrounding children. And it's, uh, you know, it's a suite of developmentally sensitive um, programs that span the lifespan so some of the programs start as early as four to seven years all the way up through adults so there's an adult resilience program that we offer uh, which is focused on um, helping caregivers educators um, those who are caring for children to build their own emotional um, resilience skills and coping skills Um, so that they have increased well-being and are therefore in a better position to be able to support their children in developing these skills.
1: Anybody wanting to take advantage of that particular program, how do they get their hands on that or how do they get involved?
6: Uh, Well, they can contact us at KidThink. We have an email, friends at kidthink.ca. So anyone that has interest in these programs can reach out to us um, through that avenue and um, we can look at how we can get them access.
1: Once again, that's friends at kidthink.ca. And there's also information available at friendsresilience.org. Carrie DeChambeau, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time.
6: Thank you for having me.
1: Carrie is Project Lead on the KidThink Friends Resilience Partnership with Winnipeg School Division. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K, W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry. B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.